Praise God. We are going to be, anybody excited to know where we're going? Me too. I wish somebody would tell me. This is the quest of every week. Lord, where are we going? Eventually, but i got to preach a sermon before we get there. All right. I wish I was done and Jesus could take over because I'd like to hear him preach this tonight. But we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. If you uh, are paying attention, I preached out of he. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I say Hebrews or did I say Ephesians? Okay, so you were paying attention. Okay, so I preached out of Ephesians 5 and 6, some principles for Christian living, and then we uh, talked about the armor of God, but we never covered the first four chapters of Ephesians. So this is some unfinished business. We're going to go back and cover the first four chapters. When we get to chapter 5, we're done. If you want to hear that, it's online. You can go back and and listen to that anytime. But we're going to take a look at Ephesians We're going to start in chapter 1 tonight, and by God's grace, we're going to get through the first three verses. Are you ready? Father, we thank you tonight for the word. We thank you for the book of Ephesians. We thank you for these principles of Christian living that we covered, and we learned all about our roles and relationships and marriage, uh, how children and family should work. Father, we thank you for the armor uh, that we talked about, and I pray that we're all still implementing the armor and using it every day. But Lord, As we come back to the book of Ephesians, help us, Lord, to continue to uncover the gems of truth that you've tucked in here and hidden for those who seek you with all their hearts. Lord, I pray we would be those people and that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal these things to us that they might enhance our daily living. I pray it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So I want to read you Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll do a little introduction and we'll jump into those three verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we're just going to stop there. There was a whole bunch in there, even in the introduction, and we're going to look at it today. So, Here's a, a brief introduction on the book of Ephesians. It's important for us to understand uh, a few components about these letters that Paul wrote to the early churches. Remember, Paul is writing to churches that in most cases, most of these epistles, these letters, are churches that he birthed. So he planted a church there. He raised up leadership there. They saw a move of God there. The Holy Spirit brought an influx of people, and boom, there's a church planted. And understand, there is still a legitimate church planting, anointing, and ministry that goes on in the body of Christ. And, you know, the apostolic manifestation of the fivefold ministry gifts is instrumental in planting churches, but you and I need to not only be concerned about Full Gospel Center, but we should be looking to outgrow this place and outgrow these four walls so we can plant churches. Now we've got a Full Gospel Center in the Gambia. That's pretty cool. Anybody? Charles is over there now working on the church. The Apostle Charles, he's over there, and he's working on the church that was planted there, and we have a part in that. So there's this church planting that Paul's doing, and he's ministering now to these churches. Imagine the amount of blood, sweat, and tears he's put into these situations and these people that he's put in place. I mean, you you know why this guy prayed constantly. You know, if you have birthed anything in the natural, your children, you are praying for them and thinking about them constantly. 
These were Paul's spiritual children. He has a huge burden for them. He loves them more than he loves his own life, and he's concerned about their spiritual health and well-being. Let's take a look at Ephesians uh, and give an introduction to it because it's important we know why these epistles were written and who they were written to and some of these components here. So first of all, Ephesians was written by Paul. Not all, all of the letters and epistles in the Bible we're positive about the authorship of. This one we are. It's written by Paul in around 60 AD during the time of his Roman imprisonment. So realize everything that we read here was written by Paul while he was in chains. And that's huge, man, because I don't know about you, but being under house arrest, being in chains, being shipped from one place to another, going through trials and shipwrecks and standing before these pompous leaders who want to judge you and pick at you and, uh, you know, trip you up. That's a lot of pressure and stress in life. Yet when you consider all that and you realize the, the love and the compassion and the wisdom that's flowing out of Paul here, you know it's the Holy Spirit. He wrote Philippians, the the epistle of love, while he's in chains. He writes this while he's in Roman imprisonment. And, you know, it's a beautiful letter that shows the heart of God through the apostle Paul. Ephesians itself was a hub city in Asia Minor. Realize all of these early churches were in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. If you study the book of Revelation, you're going to see the churches that Jesus addresses when he addresses the churches are all churches that were planted early on in modern-day Turkey. You say, well, what's going on in modern-day Turkey now? Not what was going on when these churches were planted. So it's the same place, but a different spiritual environment. But these churches are the ones in Asia Minor, and that is modern-day Turkey. Now, Ephesians was a strategic church for evangelism and outreach because it was an intersection of several major trade routes. It was a hub. It was a commercial epicenter and a cultural hotspot. Understand, when God plants things, he plants them strategically. God does things on purpose with a purpose. Why? He knows he can look five moves ahead. He can look uh, 500 years ahead. He understands what he's doing. So Ephesians is not an accident. It's by design. And it is a hub center. It's a commercial center. It's a center of trade routes. You're going to have a convergence of all kinds of cultures and all kinds of people there. Uh, You're going to have, you know, philosophies that clash there. So it's a strategic place And it's a place where God plants a church, and now Paul is ministering to it so that it can grow and be a light in the darkness in the midst of a cultural, financial, economic epicenter. Go God. Amen? God planted full gospel center here in LaGrangeville, New York, on purpose. For such a time as this. Come on. Come on. We're not an accident. We're not an anomaly. We're not a, the, you know, well, let's just put a church here. No, we're not an accident. We're an on purpose. And so is Ephesians. And it's, a, it's an opportunity for evangelism, and the church is going to spread. The gospel is going to spread there. Ephesus had a very large pagan temple. Realize, this is not a Christian city at all. It's, you know, the, the god that they worshiped there was the goddess Diana or Artemis in the Greek, 
and it was a, a fertility god that the Romans worshipped, and they had a huge pagan temple built there for the worship of Diana. So realize, you know, we talk about it being an economic and a cultural epicenter. It's also a spiritual hub in the sense where you've got this pagan goddess there with a huge temple, and the majority of the people are affected by this philosophy, and it's ungodly, it's demonic, it's perverse, it's filled with idolatry and sexual immorality and all the things that make pagan temples pagan temples. So this little fledgling church is being planted in this hot spot that's a hub, and there is already a spiritual battle going on between the false gods that the Romans lifted up and the true God, Jesus Christ, that has just been planted in Ephesus. So the church in Ephesus was planted by Paul himself, and it was the result of one of the efforts on one of his missionary journeys. Remember, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. So while the uh, apostles, Peter, James, and John, all of them, they're involved in Jerusalem, here's this church planted here, and Paul is careful to water it and nurture it because there again, it's his spiritual baby that he's birthed through the anointing that God has put on his life. The epistle he writes to the Ephesians would circulate not only to that church, but through all the churches in the region of Asia Minor. Realize this was written to the Ephesians, but it's just as much to us as it is to them. This is not just an ancient letter written to an ancient people who have all passed away. This is God's living word that applies to every believer throughout the ages. Amen. So Ephesians is unlike many of Paul's epistles in that it does not address any particular doctrinal error or heresy. Instead, Paul writes to help these new Christians better understand God's grace, to understand what's proper moral conduct for a Christian, and to help the function and the purpose of the local church. So many times Paul would write a letter to a church because it had been attacked by false doctrine. What the enemy tried to do constantly, especially in the early churches, is to inject heresies into the church to dissipate the gospel so that eventually they'd let go of the gospel and grab onto something else and it would not be a church anymore. How many understand once a church lets go of the gospel, once a church lets go of the word of God, once a church lets go of the truth, it's no longer a church. The enemy knows he can't close down every church. He, he knows he can't get people to quit going to church. So what he tries to do is to corrupt and pollute the gospel with a false gospel that allows them to meet and still do their thing, but it is devoid of the spirit and the presence of God. So, you know, there's no, there's no doctrinal heresy here. There's no Gnosticism or there's no immorality or the Judaizers haven't ejected anything and that we're going to see in other epistles. But here he is just trying to give them solid principles for Christian living. That's why I preached that whole uh, chapter 5 there and chapter 6, and we, we learned a lot of principles that would give us wisdom on how to live as Christians. And that's really the purpose of Ephesians here, to get Christians to understand God's grace, proper moral conduct, and to function as a church. Unity is a strong theme in Ephesians. And in fact, uh, the people of God 
are portrayed as a family there. Unity is seen uh, as a theme and also presenting the universal idea of being part of the body of Christ. Realize these are new concepts to those people. They've come from all different cultural backgrounds. Many of them, you know, were Jews who came out of Judaism and now they've got this gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them were pagans that came out of paganism. So now all of these people are tossed together, kind of like we're tossed together in here tonight. Look around. Look around. Don't stop looking at me. Look around. Nobody looks related in here. Come on. Right? We're, we're a peculiar people. We've all been tossed together. But listen, we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. Amen. And so, you know, it took some getting used to being part of a family, being part of the body. And, you know, the instruction here is to produce the unity that allows the church to be the church. Here's a quick outline of Ephesians. You could write this down or you don't have to. It starts off with a greeting. All epistles do. Uh, we're going to take a look at that a greeting tonight in uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Then it defines the glory of the headship of Christ in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Then Ephesians calls for believers to understand God's purpose and power. That's Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. So we've got three themes just in chapter 1. Then Ephesians teaches us how to individually fulfill the purposes of God. That's chapter 2 uh, through chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, then how to fulfill the purposes of God in the church. That's chapter 4 through 6. So we're going to stop somewheres in there. And at the end in verse 6... Verses 21 through 24, there's a conclusion and a, and a concluding statement. So we're going to get through most of the outline here. We covered some of it in chapters 5 and 6, but that's a basic outline of Ephesians. Now, not too long ago when we did this verse by verse on chapter 5 and 6, uh, you know, we covered a lot of these principles and details that kind of flesh out the themes I went over with you. But let's go back to the unfinished business of chapters 1 through 4. Let's take a look at chapter 1 here in the greeting that I just read to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So let's just take a look at there. You say, Pastor Rick, it's just a greeting. Let's move on to the good stuff. Every part of Scripture is the good stuff. And there's something in the greeting. If you blast through that greeting, you're going to miss all of what I'm going to talk about right now. Paul starts off by identifying himself as an apostle. And that's significant. That's not a title you give yourself. It's not a title that everybody gets. You know, th there were 12 apostles. Judas was gone. They elected, I uh, believe, Matthias. And then God brings in the apostle Paul here. So Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Now, an apostle is part of the fivefold ministry gifts that are used within the church today. And the fivefold ministry gifts are described in Ephesians 4.11. We're going to talk about those in detail when we get to them. But realize these, what is called the fivefold ministry gifts are gifts that God puts in people within the body of Christ to, to protect, strengthen, and equip believers in Christ. The reason anybody has a five-fold ministry gift, and we're going to talk about what they are in just a minute, but it's not to glorify themselves. It's not so they can start a church. It's not so they, you know, can be a household name. Hello. It's so they can strengthen and equip the body of Christ for works of service. Now, I wish somebody say amen. I know you're writing, but throw an amen out there. Amen. I see those pens going Ephesians 4.11. 
Now, we'll cover this in detail, but here's what it says. And he himself gave some, so this is Jesus uh, distributing gifts to the body of Christ, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. So, you know, there it is. Uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the fivefold ministry gifts. Paul starts off by identifying himself as an apostle. Now, being an apostle in the early church required that person to have had to be with Jesus. Amen? You, you had to be with Jesus to be one of his apostles. Now, you say, well, how did the apostle Paul get on this? Well, he wasn't actually with Jesus, but Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road and literally called him to be an apostle, and he had an encounter with Jesus that qualified him to be an apostle in the early church. So when you think about this, what it meant to be an apostle back at the inception of the church meant that there, you know, you had to actually have a connection with Jesus. Now, there's a difference between being an apostle in the early church, like Peter, James, and John, like Paul, and, you know, functioning in the apostolic ministry of the church through the fivefold ministry gifts. There are still apostles, but the function is a little different than it was in that day. Be very leery of people who call themselves apostles because it's not something you, you go to school for and you take the classes so you graduate and you become apostle and you get a diploma, a five-by-seven suitable for framing, and now you can call yourself. And Look, I've seen a lot of that nonsense in the body of Christ of people calling themselves apostles. I could, I could go on about this, the nonsense that goes on in the body of Christ where people just grab a title and run with it. Don't meet any of the biblical qualifications. I can go into those and it'll make your hair loosen up, but I'll skip that for tonight and just say that Paul was an apostle. He had uh, the qualifications of an apostle, and there are still people who function in the apostolic fivefold ministry today, but they're different than the apostles that walked around who walked with Jesus. Can someone say amen? Now, what apostles do in the modern church is they are leaders of leaders. You're going to see these people, they, you know, they are pastors who pastor pastors. And I've seen people function in that apostolic role, and they really strengthen uh, the body of Christ in that they strengthen leadership. So apostles are leaders of leaders, and they work with leaders. And, you know, you, you got to understand this is a very important ministry in the church. Some churches just shy away from this and say, well, there were 12 apostles and that's it, and there's no more function for the apostolic role. Not true. Apostles are leaders of leaders. They are those who plant and build churches. They are overseers of denominations or groups of leaders, and you see this functioning throughout the body of Christ. They oversee churches, they preserve sound doctrine, they keep spiritual order in the churches, and they provide accountability for leadership. How many realize we need apostles in the contemporary church? There's too many half-converted cowboys out there that get that five-by-seven suitable for framing and figure, it's America, I can open up a church. Oh, I'm preaching tonight, and you're barely saying anything. I know it's not Sunday, but it, it, pretend it is. All right, I'll take that. So Paul's a legit apostle. He's had an encounter with Jesus. He's had his call come from Jesus. 
He's seen him. Uh, you know, so his office and his ministry are credible. He has the authority, that apostolic authority over the churches. God uses him as the apostle to the Gentiles. Notice two things about Paul's spiritual office. Number one, it says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't say of a denomination, I'm an apostle of the board who elected me. I'm an apostle of the school that graduated me. Hello. He said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wasn't an apostle of the people. He wasn't an apostle of the denomination. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, listen to me. Ministers who forget who they work for, Christians who forget who they work for, try, uh, they wind up trying to please people instead of God. And that's a bad situation. If you're under a leader who's trying to please people and not God, you're under a Saul. Saul didn't care what God said, what God required. He took an opinion poll, and he wanted to make everybody happy. Saul was the people's choice. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a tall, handsome guy, and he won the popularity contest, and he got placed as king, but he was never God's choice. God chose a David was in the back 40 with the sheep who was forgotten by his father, who was a psalmist and a lover of God and had a, a relationship with God. He had the heart of a shepherd. So listen, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he works for God. Now, listen, I want to say something to you tonight. I work for Jesus. I love you, but I don't work for you. You know, and I've seen churches where you don't preach what we want, we'll remove you. I, I mean, I don't understand. You know, you, if you were a pastor, you should pack up and run out of there quick. I've known people who went to churches to be youth pastors, and they were preaching the word, and they said, you know, we don't want you to preach on this subject. He was a youth pastor preaching to young people about avoiding fornication, and they said, we don't want to hear one more word about that. And they tossed him out. As ministers, as fivefold ministers, we don't serve boards, we don't serve people, we're not to please them, we're to please God. I love you, but I work for Jesus, amen? And I'm gonna say what Jesus puts in my mouth to say, and you know what, uh, it's worked out good so far. <laughs> so, you know, we must serve his purposes. Uh, you know, our job is not to please a board or a committee or a denomination or a congregation, or listen to me, or listen to me, or to please a culture well, don't say this, Pastor Rick, and don't touch that topic, Pastor Rick, and don't say that. You know, it's, it's politically incorrect. It's a cultural thing. We just need to leave that alone. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he makes it very clear. Then he confirms this part about his calling. He says, by the will of God. This is important. Paul is, you know, you, we're having so much fun in the introduction here. We would have skipped right through this. But he's saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I don't work for you. I work for him. I don't try to please you. I try to please him. I'm going to say what he puts in my mouth. Then he said, I'm called what? By the will of God. Anyone in ministry, anyone in ministry, anyone in ministry must be called of God. Not by the will of men, not by a board, not because, you know, uh, their, their father was a pastor. Do you know how many times I've seen young men pushed into the ministry to be pastors because their father or their grandfather was a pastor? Let me tell you how that works out. Not good, not good for anyone. If you have to sit and listen to somebody preach with no calling and no anointing, ah, it's painful, man. Put me in the dentist chair without Novocaine. I'd rather do that. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. We don't need self-appointed, self-anointed, popularity contest winners like Saul who assume spiritual power through charisma and gather immature people to themselves to lead. They have done more damage to the body of Christ than the devil himself. We need leaders appointed by God and anointed by God, called by God. Paul was such a man, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He, he did incredible exploits for God, and he is a pillar in the early church. Why? Because God called him, because God appointed him, and God anointed him, and we see the fruit of that in his life. Paul makes it clear. I wasn't, I wasn't appointed by Peter, James, or John. I didn't assume this post because I was brilliantly trained under, you know, the Jewish uh, rabbi Gamaliel, who was such a brilliant scholar of the word. I, I didn't take this position because, you know, I felt like I had the ability. No, I was called by God. And whatever you do in your life, make sure God has called you to do it. My wife is walking out. She's had it with me. But, you know, whatever you're doing in your, in your walk. Now, I know sometimes we serve in areas that we're not necessarily called to because there's a need. Someone say amen. And we do. We serve. We, you know, coming up in the ministry, I served in every area in the church. I was a children's pastor. I was a youth pastor for five years. I mean, I was a toilet pastor. I was a drive this guy to the airport pastor. I mean, I did all that stuff. And we serve where there's a need, but we, we must serve where we're called to serve because that's where our anointing is. So figure out what you're called to do and where you're called to serve. And, you know, the probability is God's got you right there right now. So don't think, you know, you got to pack up and go off to some foreign country. Chances are you're planted exactly where he wants to use you right now. But you need to know that you know that you're called by God so that you can pour your whole life into it without reservation and produce fruit that's eternal. So who is this letter written to? Well, the text is going to tell us two specific groups, to the saints who are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So there were saints at Ephesus and they were faithful. And you see how the text kind of rolls that out there um, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So first of all, the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians is written to the Ephesians. And that's a good thing for us to understand. There's a primary focus here, but yet, you know, it's bigger than that because the word of God is bigger than that. Understand when we're looking at a book, it's important to know the historical context, the makeup of the church. That's why we took a time to do an introduction. But, you know, having said all that, we need to understand Paul is specifically writing under the direction of the Holy Spirit to the Ephesians. You know, and obviously this letter is focused at them. And uh, the letter was also you know, circulated through all the churches of Asia Minor there. So Ephesians got it first, then they passed it on. I'm sure they made copies. You know, that's why we have manuscripts and all of these things that scribes had made copies of. And this is how we get the New Testament uh, from all of those manuscripts. But it's written to the Ephesians, and it's also written to the faithful in Christ Jesus. As believers, every instruction Every part of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, is for us. Now, I'm going to say that again, and I want more amens because you need to know this. If one person comes, comes to me and says, why are you preaching out of the Old Testament? We're New Testament. The Old Testament is for the Old. Listen, it, the whole thing, all 66 books from cover to cover is for us. 
Okay, if you still don't believe me, listen to this. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, say all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That's both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Write down 2 Timothy 3.16, memorize it, get it in your spirit, and when we're speaking about the Old Testament, when we're speaking in the New Testament, whatever it is, know that that scripture is for you. It's inspired by God. None of it was written by men. None of it at all. People will say, oh, the Bible was just written by a bunch of men. Well, that tells me you've never read it because there's no possibility that all these different authors can put this together in such a way that it flows together and complements each other and doesn't contradict itself. Come on tonight. People who say things like that have never cracked the Bible open. I say, well, this was written by men. I'll read you a passage. I dare you to apply it to your life and see if it doesn't change your life. Come on, Wednesday night. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We get in the Old Testament, we tear situations apart, you know, take the interaction between Saul and David, for instance, the judges that we covered, all of that stuff is applicable to us. It was put there for an example to us so we didn't have to make the same mistakes as Israel made. And look, we look at America and we see we're doing the same things that the ancients did wrong. And we're reaping the same results. So we're going to move on to verse 2. Verse 2 you say, well, this is just a greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 2 contains Paul's, uh, you know, very, uh, it's a very Pauline greeting here. In fact, that phrase grace and peace is very important. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Grace and peace. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. Grace and peace. Now, Grace and peace is cited no less than 19 times in the New Testament epistles. Paul used it as his common greeting. Uh, you know, you got to understand when Paul talks about grace and peace, he says what? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand, we need to know where our grace and peace comes from. Our grace doesn't come from a nice boss. Our grace doesn't come from a lenient traffic cop. Our grace doesn't come from a sympathetic judge. Hello. Our grace comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace doesn't come from a, a good job, a nice car, a, a paid-off mortgage, a good neighborhood, a happy family, a big turkey at Thanksgiving. Our peace from, comes from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when Paul says grace and peace over and over 19 times in the New Testament, he's trying to point us to the fact that we need to know where the source of our grace comes from. It's vital for us to know that. Why? Because if we don't know where our grace and peace comes from, we're going to try and find those two things in other places. And that's a waste of time. Oh, all those things I said, well, this will give me peace, or this will give me joy, or this will bring happy, or this, you know, I, I can get, you know, if this person approves of me, or this person says I did a good job, then no. Our grace and peace come 
from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we should seek those things from. Well, pastor, I have no peace. Seek the Lord. Amen. Pastor, I'm in turmoil. Get on your knees and cry out to Jesus. Amen. Pastor, I made a big mess out of things. I need grace. I, I hope the judge is lenient. I hope my boss is lenient. I hope, listen, grace comes from God. Cry out to God for grace. Verse 3 is a blessing directed towards God, our Heavenly Father. Our connection with the Heavenly Father is so vital, so important. It comes through Jesus. Look what he says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Let's just unpack verse 3, and then we'll be done for the night. Our connection to the Father only comes through the Son. It, well, I, I have a relationship with God. Have you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? No, I'm not into that Jesus thing, but I am connected to God. No, you're not connected to God. No, you're not spiritual. No, you're not saved. You're lost. There's one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. Oh, pastor, that's narrow-minded. Well, I don't care if it's narrow-minded or not. It's the only way. It's the only way, and it's, you know, we don't have to have 10 different ways when God said there's one way. And this is super important. Why? Because our world out there says all roads lead to God and any path leads to God. And this religion and that religion and this cult and this philosophy and this guru can all lead you to God. Listen, you can go down some crazy paths in life and the Holy Spirit can tolerate some of that. But eventually he's going to woo you and draw you and bring you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. But there's only one path that leads to God. And the Bible says the way is narrow, you know, and it's a narrow path. It's not a wide path. The wide path leads to destruction. Be careful of people who say, you know, I'm spiritual. I have a relationship with God, but they do not confess Jesus Christ. When we, unless we receive Christ and confess him, we are estranged from God the Father. Our sin nature will separate us from him. God cannot have a relationship with sinful man. That's why he sent Jesus to die in our place as a vicarious substitutionary sacrifice so that we could look to that sacrifice and say, uh, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus says, come on down. And he wraps his arm around you, covers you with his blood, writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, tears the veil in half, and God the Father opens his arms to you. Look, if I, ever get, if I ever stop getting excited about preaching this, I quit. Because this is what it's all about here. Amen? So it's Jesus. He's the only way. He's the connection. Um, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the blessing comes through Jesus. The blessing is being connected with the Father. Uh, you know, without... Christ, the Gentiles were completely cut off. Realize God had a relationship with the Jews through covenant. If you were not Jewish and in covenant relationship, whether it was the Abrahamic covenant or the, the Mosaic covenant or whatever covenant it was, if you were, you were just cannon fodder, man, you were cut off, you had no access to God. Oh, it's quiet now. But I'm a good person, but I'm spiritual, but I'm nice. Yeah, and I was still born in sin. And I still needed a savior. So, you know, this whole idea of that connection coming through the Father is something we need to revel in and celebrate and always remember. Um, Beware of those who say they know God but reject Jesus. 
Now listen to John 8, 18 through 19, and I'll finish up with this point. I am the one who bears witness of myself. Jesus talking to the religious and the lost. These leaders, they thought they were so smart. They were always trying to trap them. He says, I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to them, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. If you want the Father, you have to have the Son. Jesus is talking to the religious smarty pants guys of the day. And he's saying, you guys don't know the Father, and you don't know him, and you're proving it by the fact that you don't recognize me. Without Jesus, there's no connection to the Father. With Jesus, we can be connected to the Father, and we can have salvation and eternal life. Now, it says here that, what, you know, and God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, then it talks about every blessing. You know, I, I like this it kind of denotes where our blessings come from. We, we need to be reminded of that constantly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Oh, so the Father has blessed us through Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Let's just look at that and we'll finish up for tonight. Every blessing we have is from our Father in heaven. Every blessing we have, you say, well, you know, this thing and that that thing that I got and that thing that I earned and that house that I live in and that car that I drive, didn't I earn that? Didn't I save money for that? Didn't I pay the mortgage? Didn't I pay the bill? It's from God. Every blessing. You know, sometimes we, you know, we we get in this rut and we're making money and we're financially planning and we're saving and we're doing, and we think it's us. Oh, I blessed myself. Who gave you that skill to have that job, to make that paycheck? Who gave you favor to keep your job and to excel and to get promoted? Come on, it's from God. Every blessing comes from God. All that we have comes from God. That's why when I see people who they they don't want to give, they don't want to sow an offering, they don't want to tithe, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Okay, Smeagol, where did you get it from? My precious. No, it's not yours. In the Old Testament, you had to give a tenth to symbolically signify that, you know, I'm recognizing God as my source. In the New Testament, he asked for us to give all of ourselves. And I'm not talking about money, all of ourselves. Some of us would rather just pay God off. Here's a tenth. Here's 20%. Just leave me alone. Don't call me to ministry. Just here's 30%. No, he wants all of us. He wants... He wants every bit of us. He wants our time, our talent, our treasure. He wants our affection. Come on, he he wants to be our focus. Oh, this is where the rubber hits the road tonight, amen. (laughs) This is where casual Christianity drowns in the hot tub, right? Oh, I like that hot tub Christianity. Just the goosebumps, just the good stuff. Come on, Lord, I'm giving you 85%. I want that 15%. I want the rest. Wants all of me. Whatever I keep for me becomes an idol. Now, I know this is hard. None of us have got a perfect yet, especially including me. But you know what? It, it's what God requires of us. So all our blessings come from him. Everything we are, we owe to him. Look at James 1.17 says, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance or shadow of turning. So every good and perfect gift, where does it come from? Not from Walmart, not from Amazon. Please, people, it comes from God above. 
Now, what heavenly blessings should we be mindful of? Things like the fact that we are accepted in the beloved. God in heaven, the creator of the universe, the holy, just, and perfect God accepts you as a son or a daughter. Woo! Man, if that don't make you smile, you need the Holy Ghost jumper cables. How about things like this? We've received the free gift of eternal life. Wow! I don't like hot places. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I'm glad that when I die, the angels are going to come get me, and they're going to take me into the presence of God. Amen? I'm glad it's a free gift, because if I had to earn it, I would blow it and mess it up, and I wouldn't pay the payments on time, and I would wind up someplace else. How about things like our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? How about things like we have an assurance of salvation? We're not eternally insecure. Am I saved? Am I lost? Am I saved? Am I lost? I was good today. I'm saved. I was bad today. I'm lost. You know, we have an assurance of our salvation that we don't have to live in fear. Amen? Come on. I know that the devil tells you sometimes you're not saved and that you're not going to make it. So how do you know that? Because he tells me too. And you know what? He's a liar. And if he said it, you know he's lying because that's all he does is lie. Listen to me. We have an assurance of salvation. What a blessing. How about things like we have 24-7 access to the Holy Spirit of God, amen? That he's our counselor, our comfort, our strength. He gives us wisdom. He leads us into all truth. Man, there's some days there's nobody around. There's nobody to call. I know uh, nobody has the answer for me, but you know what? I'm sitting here, and, uh, and I'm like, God, I'm hurting. And the Holy Spirit just floods down upon me and begins to pour peace into my mess. 24-7 access to the Holy Spirit of God. How about things like we have every kind of provision we could possibly need? The shelves might be empty in Walmart and Target, but listen to me. The storehouse in heaven is chock full of blessings with your name on it, amen? He has every kind of provision you could ever need. He has all the love you need, all the joy you need, all the health you need, all the peace you need, all the spiritual truth you need, all the emotional support you need, all the relational support you need, all the financial provision you need. He's got it all. I want to close with a little poem. You might think, I didn't know you were a poet. I didn't say I wrote it. I said, I want to close with it. The poem is called Heaven's Grocery Store. It talks about God's provision. All our spiritual blessings come from the Father. He provides us with everything we need. Heaven's Grocery Store. I was walking down life's pathway not so very long ago when I looked and saw a sign, Heaven's Grocery Store. I got a little closer, and the door swung open wide. The next thing I knew, I was standing there inside. I saw a host of angels that were standing everywhere. One handed me a basket and said, my child, shop with care. Everything a Christian needed was in that grocery store, and what you couldn't carry out, you could come back tomorrow for more. Well, first I got some patience. Love was in the same row. Further down was understanding. You need that everywhere you go. I got a box or two of wisdom and a bar or two of faith. You couldn't miss the Holy Ghost. He was all over the place. I didn't forget salvation for salvation. That was free. I wanted to get enough of that to save both you and me. There was meekness, long-suffering, and gentleness. I saw these at a glance. I knew I'd better get some while I had the chance. 
I stopped to get some courage to help me run life's race. Then my basket was getting full, and I remembered I needed grace. I started for the counter to pay my grocery bill. I thought I had most everything to do the Father's will. And then I saw prayer. I just had to put that in because I knew as soon as I stepped outside the door, I would run right into sin. Heaven's grocery store. He's got everything you need. And he paid for it with the blood of Jesus. Let's bow our heads tonight. We bless you, Lord. Father, we thank you for Ephesians. We thank you uh, for chapter one. We thank you for grace and peace. We thank you that all of what we need, every good and perfect gift, every blessing comes to us through you, our heavenly Father, via a relationship with Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to remember that we are called, just as Paul is called to be an apostle, just as he had an anointing on his life. Each of us are called to serve you in some specific way, and each of us have gifts and anointings to do the job. So help us to realize what we're called to do and who we're called to be so that we can pour all of our heart, soul, and strength into that call every day and produce fruit that remains. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise tonight.